Hi everybody, it's Paula Waterman. Thank you for joining us tonight for Saturday Night Supper Club. I'm really glad you could join us tonight. We're going to talk about Pentecost and what does Pentecost mean to us today? What did it mean back during the time of the disciples? What did it mean for the Israelites? Where, where did it come from and why is it so important? You know, in the Christian church, in the Christian calendar, we have a lot of different special holidays, but one of them is Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the most important church holidays that we celebrate because it's what we believe is the birth of the um, modern day church. It's actually when the church was birthed was the day of Pentecost. Pentecost actually fell on the same day as a holiday that the Hebrews celebrated, which celebrated, which was the feast of first fruits um, of a harvest, of a wheat harvest. They also celebrated Pentecost as a celebration of the Torah when Moses came down and gave the five books of the Bible to the Israelites, and they celebrate those two things. Pentecost is 50 days from Passover and also 50 days from the death of Christ. And so um, we celebrate Pentecost on this coming up Sunday as one of the most important holidays there is in the Christian tradition. I just want to read from you, read to you from Acts. Uh, Luke is the um, author of Acts, and he records everything that happened from the day of Pentecost on. Pentecost is traditionally when the Christians of the time, the apostles, the disciples, the men and women that had known Jesus, be received the Holy Spirit for themselves, actually received a tangible presence and a tangible sign of the Holy Spirit on their lives. And that's why we celebrate it in the Christian church is a very important marking of the Holy Spirit coming in power to the earth. So I'm going to read to you from the Passion Translation. All my scriptures tonight are going to be from the Passion Translation. If you want to follow along, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to kind of go through some of these scriptures. This is the very beginning of Pentecost, the very beginning of the church as we know it today. So um, the first, I'm going to start with, with chapter, or chapter 1, verse 2. Just before he ascended into heaven, this is talking about Jesus, he left instructions for the apostles he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he'd been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom realm and shared meals with them. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it the time now for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He answered, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and the times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places of the earth. So today my sermon is called The Power of Pentecost. What does Jesus mean when he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power? You know, this has been kind of a controversial topic for a lot of different kinds of churches. Some people believe that the power that Jesus is talking about 
is not necessarily for today. It's not about signs and wonders and resurrections and things like that. Other people think everything still exists. Everything that Jesus meant back then is still available for us today. So I want to talk about that a little bit as we go forward, if that's okay with you. You know, a couple of things I just want to um, point out here because I love, I love the parallels of the Old and New Testament. I love how the Old Testament and the New Testament belong together and fulfill each other, especially the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. You'll see here that Jesus spent 40 days ministering to his disciples, teaching his disciples, showing them through power, signs, and wonders that he was really resurrected, that he was leaving and somebody else was going to come in his place and there was going to be a transition from what had been to what was coming. And we'll see in the Old Testament that 40 days was very significant. 40 days is a, in the Bible, it represents a time of transfer, transformation and completeness through a season of testing. You'll see that Noah, Noah was um, in the ark for 40 days. You'll see that Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days. Um, Elijah fasted for 40 days. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days before he received the, the uh, Ten Commandments. The Israelites were led in the wilderness for 40 years. So 40 has to do with going from one place to another. Jesus spent this time with his disciples to say, listen, we're going from one reality to another reality. I've spent time with you. I've spent three years teaching you. You got to know me. You saw me. Now I'm preparing you for something new. There's going to be a newness that's coming to you, and you're going to be my messengers. And you're going to preach my message. And I'm going to leave so that another may come and empower you to preach this message. And that was what the 40 days was about as he spent time preparing his disciples. But they kind of didn't understand that the whole time. They were still a little bit trapped or um, confused about what Jesus' purpose was. They, they thought that he was going to restore their physical kingdom and that the Israelites would rule over all the Gentile nations as what they believed was their destiny. They didn't quite grasp that Jesus has always been talking about a spiritual kingdom and a spiritual destiny. And, and Jesus's plan and purpose was that all mankind, all humanity would be drawn into the family of God, would experience the promises, the destiny, everything that Jesus and God had for Israel is for the Gentiles. And he is, he's beginning to show this and, and having the, the disciples partner with this. But the, but the disciples needed one more thing in order to fully grasp and fully em, be empowered in this mission. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls it a gift. The Holy Spirit primarily, one of the primary Things of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit brings us many gifts. He's a comforter. He's a teacher. But he is mostly an empower. He empowers us to do many things. And if you believe what Acts has to say, he empowers us in power. He empowers us to walk in signs and wonders. And in things we had never thought we could do before. Let's keep reading here in Acts. Luke says, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. 
Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before the, their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now at that time there were Jewish worshipers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sounds, the crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening, because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? So how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? Yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? But others poked fun at them and said, they're just drunk a new wine. You know, I love, again, the parallels between the Old and the New Testament. Here we've got people, disciples um, in the upper room. The Holy Spirit rests on them and actually fills them and empowers them. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came on people, he rested on people, kings, priests, prophets, and sometimes artisans. And he rested on them for a moment, but hardly ever filled and empowered them forever. But the picture we see here is now, now that the Holy Spirit has come in a pillar of fire, like remember the pillar of fire, pillar of fire when God led the Israelites through the desert? We see this pillar of fire, the same kind of pillar of fire, but now it's separated and it's not just leading a group of people, it's actually resting on individuals. It's resting on every individual. And that person begins to speak in an unknown language. It's an unknown language to them, but it's a known language to people listening outside. And apparently what these people are saying in this unknown language is they're speaking of God's mighty wonders. They're praising God. They're, they're bursting forth in a kind of praise. It's not... Um, just a mystical utterance that no one can understand, they are actually saying things about God in an unknown language to these people. And what I see here is, remember the story of um, the Tower of Babel when the people were coming together in rebellion and they were going to build a tower to God and they were going to be like God. And God said, oh, I can't have this. I, I'm not going to put up with this kind of rebellion. I'm going to scatter the people and they're all going to have different languages. Well, guess what we see here? Now we see God saying, I'm going to draw people back to myself. Now the Holy Spirit's on board. I'm going to draw people back to myself. And now the languages are going to come together. And people are going to hear in their own language who I am. They're going to hear of my mighty words and my mighty deeds. And we see this reverse going on. We see this, this it was now a scattering now we see a drawing back together of all the different kinds of people. Now remember, the Israelites were here because they were celebrating a Hebrew holiday. They were celebrating the um, first fruits, the harvest of first fruits. Again, I think this is a fantastic parallel because this is now going to become a harvest of souls, a first fruits of souls. The, the Israelites were in town, but thinking they were going to be celebrating an, an ancient Israelite 
holiday of first fruits, but they're actually going to be part of a different holiday and part of a different harvest. I think that's so cool. The other thing that I think is neat is they're saying they're drunk on new wine. You know, right? They are drunk on new wine. Not the kind of wine that they think. Not the new wine of the wedding in Cana or the new wine of, of celebrating this Israelite harvest. They're drunk on a new wine called the Holy Spirit. They're drunk on the best wine there can possibly be, the Holy Spirit. I think that's such a cool parallel right there. I love it so much. Here's what came out of this. Here's some, here's some things, some different... Um, empowerments and giftings I see that come out of this manifestation, this giving of the Holy Spirit to every single believer now that's gathered together. So going on in this, in Acts, he says, Luke, Luke relates it this way. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are. For it's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Blood and fire and pillars of clouds will appear for the sun will be turned dark and the moon blood red before that great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You guys, this is great news. This is fantastic news. And here is Peter. I just want you to know something. Do you understand that six weeks ago, Peter stood next to Jesus when he was being um, tried by the priest and denied Jesus, said, I never knew him. I don't know what you're talking about. He, in fact, he cursed and said, I never knew this man. And he betrayed Jesus three times. Six weeks later, he is standing up and in boldness, he's giving the first evangelistic preaching message to the Jews. He's the first one to preach and preach in power. This is the role of the Holy Spirit to us as believers. When we partner with the Holy Spirit, when the, when the Holy Spirit empowers us, there is a boldness that comes into our life that pushes out all fear of man. We are no longer afraid to say, I stand with Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus and Jesus is going to change your life. The other thing I like about this story, you guys, is that he simply told the story of Jesus and recounted a prophecy from the Old Testament. Again, the Old Testament is showing what's going to happen in the New Testament. They're so tied together. I love that. He simply relayed a message. He said, this is what the Old Testament says. This is what's happening now. This is who Jesus is. You need to know him. And that's all he did. He, he simply delivered a message. This is what happened to the people. When they heard this, when they heard this message from Peter, they were crushed and realized that they had done to, what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we need to do, brothers? Peter replied, repent and return to God. And each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. 
Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families and for those yet to be born and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter preached them and warned them with these words, be rescued from the wayward and perverse culture of this world. Those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. They were all baptized and added to the church. Here's the thing that I love about this, you guys. Sometimes in my personality, I want to spend a lot of words convincing people of what I know to be true or that my beliefs are right or whatever. What I see here, and I was talking about this with a friend yesterday, my only responsibility is to preach the word, preach the message of who Jesus is to whomever, whoever God calls me to preach the message to, and leave it there. It is the Holy Spirit's job to do the rest. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of the truth of that message, to bring them to a place of repentance where they can say, what do I need to do to be saved? And then I simply lead them to who Jesus is. But I don't need to have fire and brimstone, condemnation, damnation type motivation to bring people to Jesus. I don't believe that's God's purpose. I don't believe that's God's message. I believe God's message is simply and sweetly the message of Jesus Christ, who he was, and the promise of the Holy Spirit to all who believe. That is simply my message. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict people and draw them to himself. And you know what? That makes it so easy for me because now I'm not responsible for people's salvation. I'm responsible to be a messenger, but I'm not responsible for their salvation. The Holy Spirit is responsible. The people who hear, they are responsible. My job is simply to allow the Holy Spirit to empower me and for me to release the message to anyone who wants to hear. The definition of a messenger from, you know, my favorite place, the Google, Merriam-Webster and the Google, is one who hears a message or does an errand, such as a forerunner or a herald, a dispatch bearer in government or military service, an employee who carries messages. None of that there, you guys, is someone who says, convince somebody to do what you told them to do. You simply convey a message. You're an employee who just does what your employer is telling you to do. You're a forerunner. You're a herald. You herald the truth, and you let the chips fall. It is everybody else's responsibility to... Um, to respond, not my job to respond or make them respond. This is why I like prophetic ministry so much because prophetic ministry can be a very pure way for God to convey a message from his heart to a message to somebody else's heart. And I just get to be the vessel. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to interpret it. I don't have to convince the person of the truth of it because God knows what's inside that person's heart. So a lot of times, I've done this before, you may hear a word or a, and when I say word, I mean a message, um, a statement, a lot of different things. You may hear um, a message from God, and God wants you to convey it to the person. And you convey it to the person, and it strikes them in the heart. And it has a meaning to them that I would not even know, but it changes them because all of a sudden they feel seen and heard and known by God. And that is what our job is to do, you guys. Our God, job is to be the messenger between God and and broken humanity. How do we convey the message of God's heart to broken humanity? Just do our job and the Holy Spirit does all the rest. I love prophetic ministry for that. 
It is so, so cool. You know, I just want to go through what I think are, we can look at some of the demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power. You know, because our church, Saturday Night Supper Club, believes that the power of the Holy Spirit in all aspects is available today. The Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he does convict people and bring them to himself. But he does a lot of other things too. He provides healing, the power for healing. Peter and John heal a man right after this, chapter 3. They go on and they're preaching and they come upon a man who's been crippled from birth and he's sitting at a gate called Beautiful. And he says, hey, you know, I can't work. Do you have any money for me? You know, he's a beggar. This is one of my favorite, favorite verses because I learned it as a little girl from the King James and it always sticks with me. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the man stands up and walks. There's even a children's song that says, um, jumping and praising God, he runs to the temple. That, I believe, is a gift of the Holy Spirit that exists for us today. The Holy Spirit desires to heal people. He desires to heal people exactly the way that Peter and John did it in a one-time thing. He desires to heal people, maybe sometimes through doctors and nurses and a longer um, time period, the Holy Spirit wants people to be whole and to be healed. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated through preaching. It's demonstrated through bold um, exhortation to one another where we're not afraid. We don't have the fear of man anymore. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with the fear of man. Sometimes I struggle with looking like a weirdo or looking like somebody who um, is anti-intellectual or, or is, uh, doesn't think things through or maybe is experience-based and, and doesn't, isn't smart, you know. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that says, listen, I want you to follow me. I want you to listen what I'm saying to you and you let all that go because I'm going to empower your words to bring life. And it's not going to be about you. It's because I'm inside of you. You know, I've had conversations with people. I've had conversations with a sweet woman that I love. She is, um, she is a Muslim lawyer that I have sometimes dealt with in my mediation practice. And I love her so much. My heart is drawn to her in a supernatural way. I have a burden for her. I have a, an assignment to her. And when we have conversations I don't even stop. I don't think about what I'm saying because I am so um, motivated and, and empowered and excited in, inside out of the love that I have for her that Jesus' words come out and I don't even know what I'm saying. Jesus' words come out all the time. And I walk away from my conversations. I don't, I don't even know how they affect her, to be honest with you. I don't know if they make a difference about how she sees Jesus or Christians or anything. But what I know is I am so emboldened. There is such... It's almost like being drunk. I am, I'm on a high. I'm on a Holy Spirit high because I have allowed the Holy Spirit to move through me through my love for her. And that love allows me to say things I would maybe never say to anybody else because I am so passionately in love with who she is and who Jesus wants her to be and his call in her life and his, um, his destiny that he has for her for Muslim people. That I'm like, Jesus, I'll do anything you call me to do. Let me, let me be part of this. And I'm not scared at all. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit does when we allow him to part with us. We're not scared of what other people think. 
We're excited. We're overjoyed. We can't say enough things. Sometimes we need to shut up because we want to say so much. But it's the joy of the Lord inside of us that allows us to get past our fear of man and to be the messenger that God's called us to be. You know, how do we, how do we cultivate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I think there's four, four ways that we cultivate the power of the Holy Spirit in our life personally, in our life in a church family, because all of us need to be in a church family. I know you guys that we are locked down. Um, many of us are in different kinds of states. Some are more locked down than others, but we feel very isolated and we feel alone. I just want you to know that's not God's will for our life. God, God wants us to be in community. And while we are in community over Facebook Live or our YouTube channel, that's really, really great. But I want to give you four keys to living in power in this New Testament church where the Holy Spirit comes and lives in a radically um, new way inside of us. I'm going to finish reading um, from chapter 2 of Acts. This is the Passion Translation again. It starts with uh, verse 42. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one of those homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. I love that last phrase, coming to life. Becoming a Christian means coming to life the fullness of life that God has ordained for his people to live. So here's four things that I believe as a spirit-empowered church we need to focus on. These are four good things to focus on. The first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Listen, Christians aren't dummies. Christians aren't called to be anti-intellectual and not to practice the brain that God has given us. He made us mind, soul, spirit, and body. We have an obligation to pursue truth in all different areas, and especially when it comes to pursuing the knowledge and the truth of God. That's important for all of us to do. It shouldn't be something that we just, um, you know, I'm not good at that, so I would rather do other things. No, that's something we need to pursue. Bible study, pursuing God, pursuing good teaching. Those are things that keep us aligned in the truth of God. There are so, as you know, there are so many things swirling about us now, especially in this culture that we live in. It is very easy to fall off the ditch one way or the other and believe things that are not substantiated, believe things that are not true. We need to, The Bible says test things, test the spirits. Um, the Bereans were commended by Paul because they tested when he came and preached to them and preached the gospel they tested it they made sure what he said lined up with the Bible and they were commended for that that's a good thing for us to foster in our lives as well the second thing is one that I of course love a lot the spirit empowered church is a caring church they're involved in the ministry of fellowship they give unselfishly to each other they shared meals with each other they practice community 
you need to understand community is a priority in a spirit-empowered church. That's why when I look at what's going on with this with coronavirus and COVID and all that, one of the agendas, and, and people, you got to understand, as Christians, we don't war against um, people. We war against powers and principalities. Human beings are deceived. Human beings are in fear. Human beings don't know what they don't know, and they're being influenced and controlled and deceived by powers and principalities. We need to love human beings, even if we don't agree with them, if we don't, even if we don't like what they're saying. We are called to love human beings, but we get to war against the powers and principalities. I believe one of the agendas of the powers and principalities is to isolate us, is to break our fellowship, is to break our community. Because the one thing I know is there's great power in community. There's great power in fellowship. There's great power on hands-on ministry. And whatever we need to do, we need to keep that as a priority. Right now, sometimes we're going through pandemic. We can't do that the way we want to. But we have to remember, that's a hallmark of a spirit-empowered church, is community. The third thing is a spirit-empowered church is a worshiping church. You know, it can be informal in our homes. It can be formal. Like they said, they, they took communion at the temple courts. It can be in a bigger church. But it says, the scripture says, they were continually filled with the praises of God. Worship isn't always singing songs or having formal liturgical sayings. That's not always what worship is. A lot of times worship is simply cultivating a heart of thankfulness and saying, I'm going to be intentionally thankful every day for what God has done for my life. I am going to turn my mind and my declarations to the Lord, and I am going to declare the great and glorious things of the Lord. This is one thing that I have had to struggle with a little bit while I've been um, quarantined, you know, and isolated. Sometimes I want to put my eyes on things that are not of the Lord, things that are temporal, things that are going on, you know, in our world. And God keeps calling me, he says, I want you to look at what I'm doing in the heavens, please. I want you to worship for what you don't already see. I want you to give thanks for the harvest that is coming in. I want you to give thanks because I'm going to move in such a profound way, a way you have never seen in your life, and you need to wait for it, you need to look for it, and I want you to worship me for it. So church, we need to be a worshiping church. We need to worship for the victories we have not yet tasted because I'm telling you they're coming they're coming and fourthly the spirit empowered church evangelizes like Peter we deliver a simple message of the gospel so as to allow the Holy Spirit to draw people we're called to share our faith individually and corporately you know sometimes the apostles evangelized by powerful preaching many times they evangelized with a demonstration of signs and wonders. In fact, sometimes that's what it took. People, sometimes we need to be led by the Holy Spirit as to do we speak the gospel? Do we demonstrate the gospel? What is called? Sometimes people just need the ministry of presence. They want you to sit with them and love them. They don't want to hear your words. They don't want to hear your arguments. They want to see your love and your commitment. That is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do, is to evangelize in every area of our life. 
I'm going to pray for you guys, and I hope you have a great Saturday. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for these people, God. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, God. I thank you for what you're doing on this earth. I thank you, Lord. You have not left us as orphans. You have given us a great and mighty friend and comforter and advocate. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and do more than we have could ever hope, dream, and imagine. That you would fill us and empower us, allow us to operate in signs and wonders. That we would bring healing to people, deliver prophetic words. That we'd be able to do everything that you have called us to do. We would not miss out on it. We would say yes and amen. We would partner with your plans and your purpose and your destiny for us, God. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for these people, God. Bless us. Lord, bring us out of this pandemic, this quarantine, everything that's going on stronger, better, more financially secure, healthier than we've ever been before, God, that we would rise up and we would bless you and evangelize everyone around us. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.